Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by none other than Mr. Daniel Foch. What's going on, Dan? Not much. Always happy to be in the studio recording an episode. This is an exciting one because it's answering a question that everyone wants to know, which is when will rates go down? Yeah, like like literally everyone wants to know that. And I yeah. guess it's time to get the the crystal balls out, right? I mean, that's that's part of the realtor starter kit. You all get crystal balls to allow you to take a glimpse into the future and do the impossible predict interest rates. Yeah, apparently that's within the scope of tasks that a realtor is supposed to do. <laughs> so at the end of the episode, we'll we'll make some educated guesses based on the information that we're going to present today. Not predictions, very clear, not predictions, but educated guesses. And it's funny, man, I was in the steam room at the gym yesterday and- You're starting to sound like a realtor. <laughs> after multiple ice plunges and, you know, I was up at 3.30 in the morning because that's what you got to do to be successful these days. But I was in the uh, steam room and these two guys started talking about the fact that they couldn't sell their condos. I think one guy was just an end user, the other guy was a realtor. And then the next thing they started speaking about was interest rates. And then I was in an Uber the other day. My Uber driver started to chat with me about interest rates completely randomly. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's probably the most important piece of policy that impacts Canadians on a regular basis. So, you know, it's going to be a hot topic for anyone in real estate and the related profession, especially around the dinner table this year. This Christmas. This Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is literally the hottest topic these days. The funny thing is, though, everyone is talking about interest rates now because they are high and hurting everyone. But I didn't hear much about interest rates when they were low and making everyone money. Yeah, it's funny, eh? You don't, people aren't as aware of it to the downside, but then as soon as it makes them or it causes pain, then they become painfully aware of it. It's There's like a, there's psychology behind that, right? Like, you know, like with dogs, like you punish them with good behavior, not bad behavior. Maybe with humans, it's the opposite. I don't know. <laughs> so let's, let's start by looking at mortgage rates and house prices. So a lot of this content comes from a, an article that I wrote for Zolo, which will be, it's not even out yet, but it'll be coming out soon. Really sort of geared at answering the question, when will interest rates come down, when will mortgage rates come down? And it, it's it's not a coincidence that Canadian mortgage rates have been about as volatile as house prices. And, and the reason is because the two are inversely correlated, which means that typically house prices rise as interest rates fall, as they did for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And typically house prices fall when interest rates rise, as they did for the past two years. And they also did in 2017, which was another notable period of time when house prices fell pretty drastically. Now, much of this has to do with the fact that when money is cheap, as it was for a long time, the economy runs red hot. And when the economy runs red hot, people flock into real estate as an investment or as a hedge against inflation, which we've done full episodes on. And Dan, here in Canada, you know we love our real estate. Yeah. I mean, it makes up a huge part of our GDP. I think it's close to 13% uh, if you're including residential investment. And that's before you consider like tertiary things like financing, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. It's actually more than that. Stats Canada reported that the housing market contributed more to gross domestic product to our GDP, totaling approximately $267 billion. 
In comparison, other sectors contributing to economic growth from 2022 to 2023 were manufacturing, which is 193 billion, oil and gas, 160 billion, and finance and insurance, which is 151 billion. Now, let's not forget just on the oil and gas part there that Canada also holds one of the world's largest oil reserves, surpassed only by Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. And not to mention all the other commodities we have here in our beautiful, vast country, such as precious metals, which are becoming more and more popular for EV. So, you know, the oil dependence isn't um, isn't the only exposure we have to the automobile space, given that we have a lot of things that are required for computers, for electric cars, et cetera. Yeah. We got potash, which is, I think, an exceptional fertilizer. We export a lot of that to the Indian farming community, actually. I think Saskatchewan is the largest exporter in Canada into India. If I remember that correctly from when I was there, fresh water, which is you hear actually Michael Burry, his like entire portfolio is like water, water right now, now right? Yeah. yeah. Other than I guess that, that big short, the new short that he just exited. And if you don't know who Michael Burry is, go watch one of our, one of the shows, I should say, favorite movies, The Big Short. Yeah. And anyway, I, a lot of people speculate that the next like major world wars will be fought over water. That should both well as a resource. Yeah. Very <laughs> invadable country, I suppose. And then. We've got lumber, softwood lumber, hardwood lumber, and more. But no, why would we do that when we have to build houses and and we can make an economy out of real estate, right? Yeah, so just real estate. Now, as of September 2022, an Ipsos poll found that 77% of Canadians say more of their wealth is associated with homeownership. In the year 2000, the average price of a residential property in the Canadian real estate market was about $225,000. Man, that sounds that sounds good. Ten years later, in 2010, it was about $340,000, so moderate increase there over that decade. But today, the national home average price is above $655,000, skyrocketing nearly 200% in the last 20, 24 years. And in the same period of time, the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, has risen by about 67% in this span, which is probably more a reflection of the TSX being not, you know, measuring Canada's lack of diversification and mm-hmm. robustness as an economy because other indexes like the S&P have, have done far better. Yes, right? so. yes. Again, we are kind of small potatoes up here across the board, other than real estate, apparently. Now, Let's look at some of our other friends, other countries in the G7 and see how we stack up. This is from the OECD, and it measures the investment in dwellings as a percentage of the total gross fixed capital. So I'll start at the bottom of the list here, Dan. Japan looks to be less than 20%. The US is just around 20%. United Kingdom is seemingly just over that uh, 20, maybe 25%-ish. Italy is slightly higher than that. And then from Italy, we see France, which is, again, slightly higher, maybe, in the, again, in the mid-20s. Germany, a little bit higher than that, getting closer to 40%, but still probably around 30%. And then Canada, 40-plus percent. Common Canada win. Just, just wild there, right? And the crazy thing with this one is we always get compared to the U.S., right? I mean, it's it's right next door. It's Big Brother. We follow the Fed, all of that kind of stuff. But you start to see the major difference here in GDP um, and, and the percentage of housing there because it looks like we're almost double. Yeah. This 
speculation puts more pressure on the housing market and exacerbates the inflationary impact. So this perpetuates that vicious cycle that you see in in it causing inflation. And there there are obvious exceptions in the current environment visible in, in affordable markets like Calgary, where interest rate pressure pushed buyers out of more expensive Canadian cities like Toronto and Vancouver. And as a result, Calgary has been resilient against the falling house prices. So I guess the the next piece is to kind of discuss the difference between investment and speculation here. Yeah, speculation refers to the act of conducting a financial transaction that has substantial risk of losing value, but also holds the exception of making a significant gain. Whereas an investment is, is in an asset or an item acquired with the goal of generating income or appreciation. So simply put, investing is typically a long-term strategy that involves holding assets for years, if not decades, whereas speculation is short-term strategy that involves buying and selling assets quickly in the hoping, in the hopes of making a quick profit. So again, simply put, delayed gratification versus quick returns or immediate gratification. Think, you know, value add real estate investing being held for the long term versus pre-con flipping which would be speculation, which we're seeing bite a lot of people in the butt right now. Or from a stock perspective, buying something like, you know, CN Rail versus GameStop, which there's now a full movie about that. And I'd, I'd, assume, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go watch that movie. I believe it's called Dumb Money. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to do a whole episode on cash flow versus capital appreciation and or investment versus speculation. But I mean, it is... It's interesting from my perspective because speculation is, I think, it's proving to be become very much just an interest rate play, right? Like capital appreciation really is, or real estate without a, a really, really bona fide strategy in like expert execution, increasing your income, increasing rents, adding value to a property, creating more value out of the property. Without that, it's really just an interest rate play or maybe an inflation hedge play. So you're basically buying something that will go up at the rate of inflation. You hope, anyways. Yeah. So when you think about the speculation, this, a bunch of people running into the, an investment, crowding an investment, mass investment can lead to, you know, an economic boom or a state of mania like we saw in, in the Canadian real estate market. But it can also end in, in a more disastrous situation, right? So we saw house prices run up in 2022, in, in Q1 and then promptly fall, they kind of gave out 20% gains year over year. And then it took them back almost within, by the end of that year. Right. So I guess, you know, given that understanding and how the, how this cycle can actually become self-fulfilling and, and vicious, we should chat a little bit on, on mortgage payments and sort of what we're seeing happen now in the, in the fallout of these, these speculative, bubbles, you could call them. I think Canada kind of fell from bubble status on the UBS bubble index, which we haven't done an episode on. We should do that, by the way, into, you know, as a result of prices coming down into a more balanced market territory. What happens now that we're kind of in that that long-term pain of that, which is when people can't pay their mortgages, I suppose. Yeah. Good question. Tough question. And one that a lot of people are not only asking, but experiencing right now. So, 
the Bank of Canada has raised interest rates 10 times over the past year and a half to fight uh, that runaway inflation, which we will get to. That's brought the bank's benchmark policy rate to 5%, which is a reminder, the highest level since 2001. Now, around 40% of mortgage holders have seen higher payments since early 2022. However, by the end of 2026, virtually all remaining mortgage holders will go through a renewal cycle. And depending on the path of interest rates, many are likely or most are likely to face significantly higher payments. So the Upward trend on mortgage rates has put obvious pressure on the housing market and consumers in Canada with some notable consequences. So let's look at some examples of distress. So mortgage delinquencies are rising most quickly on mortgages over $850,000. And and I put this, I think I did a, I posted a couple of these charts on my Twitter from this, this CMHC report, but basically the biggest mortgages are failing the fastest. They're not the highest amount of delinquencies, but they're, they're failing the fastest. Big trees so fall hard. That, yeah. Yeah. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, I suppose. Power of sales in the greater Toronto area up a hundred percent since last year. A wow. power of sales, a legal provision giving the lender the authority to sell the property that is securing the mortgage. Was that just a definition right there? I guess. Yeah. I just snuck it in there. <laughs> So since interest rate hikes have started, we've seen everything from protests to letters to the government asking the Bank of Canada to stop. So if Canadians are suffering so badly, why don't they just make interest rates come down? Yeah, I mean, they can't right now. That's the simple answer. They The central bank's job is to keep inflation in the neutral range of 2 to 3%. And Interest rates are basically, other than quantitative easing, basically the only tool that they have to do that. And quantitative easing is kind of basically an interest rate tool as well. And remember that interest rates take, and this is directly from the Bank of Canada's website, interest rates take a minimum of 12 months or more to work their way through the economy. Meaning that you know if you put an interest rate in, you've got to wait a year for that to really work its way through and for people to really feel the effects of that. And I think we've both made content on this outside of the podcast and that this means that we're still have a lot to pay, a lot of pain to feel in the future. So then the next question, and this is what we're here to not answer, but discuss, and as Dan would say, opine on, when will interest rates come down in Canada? Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one, right? <laughs> no, so, I need a date. Give me yeah, an exact date. Yeah. The, so, I mean, it doesn't really have a simple answer, right? And we can we can try and explore the full scope of like conditions that must be met. Like, you know, and this is a good, this is great for people in real estate. Like, you know, if you want to buy a place, you buy it conditional on financing and inspection. If the Bank of Canada is going to make a policy change, they're going to do it conditional on certain things being or taking place. And, and Tiff Macklem even said this, right? When he said, oh, I mean, it's a pause, but it's a conditional pause. Everybody, everybody, nobody listened. They just shut off the TV. So like, pause done. Yeah. Let's go and buy <laughs> pause, some houses. Pause the TV. Hey, We're out cool. of here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to the pre-con sales office right now. <laughs> Tiff's, Tiff said a lot of stuff over the past yeah. few years. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I'll actually give him credit because even I thought that the first statement saying that they will be, that the rates will be low. I've re-listened to that so many times and I'll say that I think that it is a little bit of a um, caveat emptor, right? Which means buyer beware. Mm. I, I do think that he, it was pretty clear that like he said the foreseeable future and, but the foreseeable future is like, think about that. The, like it doesn't mean forever. No, it right? could mean next week. It could mean, I guess yeah. it's really up for interpretation. 
Well, yeah, and like so, there could have been more careful language. I, I don't think he said the long a long time. I don't think I'll have to check again. But anyway, he gradually got more and more careful with his language because he realized that Canadians were, if he was too dovish, right, that he would he would ma- basically make the the market run too hot. And now they're being much more hawkish with their their language, right? Yeah, so that just goes to show you how powerful sentiment is in the market. Sure. It's really a driving force. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so interest rates could come down in Canada if any of the following things happen. So the first one would be if Canadian government bond yields came down, which we just did a full episode on, yeah. on bond yields, episode 141. It's entitled, Can You Predict Mortgage Rates Using Bonds? And we basically do a deep dive on what a bond is and the role that they play in the economy. We also make a bunch of great James Bond One or two. jokes. <laughs> the other thing that could affect rates coming down is inflation. If inflation reaches that neutral range of 2 to 3%, now in September of 2023, Canada's annual inflation fell to 3.8%. So the first number is right. We just got to get rid of that 08 it had reached a crazy 8.1% in June of 2022, which is the highest we had seen in nearly four decades. Now, that sounds bad, but and this is just a complete aside that has nothing to do with Canada, but I just listened to this other podcast, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, about Argentina that has 150% inflation. Imagine trying to shave 147 points off of, off of that. Yeah, I mean, your currency like functionally can't recover from that at 150% inflation, right? Like Turkey is going through the same thing. And yeah. I think interest rates in Turkey are like 35%. Oh man. I mean, yeah, you like, just so, go put your money in a bank there. But the, the challenge is you're taking the, the currency risk, right? Well, so for the on the currency play there, most Argentines don't even use the peso. They don't trust it. So right. like they literally, like it's, it's actually, they all want American dollar bills. Right. And there's no point in putting them in the bank because they'll never see them again. So it's literally get American money and put it in the mattress. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and that's where you see like the Weimar Republic, the people running away with like wheelbarrows full of cash, right? Like, so the the final box that could be checked that could cause the central banks to bring interest rates down, or the central bank in Canada, but any central bank really, is if the economy fell into a recession, which is usually defined as two consecutive quarters of a decline in a country's real or inflation-adjusted gross domestic product or GDP with rising unemployment typically. And the US does have a a dual mandate. They have protect the value of the currency through inflation, but they also have full employment, whereas Canada, we just have inflation. Mm -hmm. They don't technically care if we have full employment. So, and it is it is becoming a fascinating conversation with like Scotiabank just saying that they felt that the the Canadian government um their spending is actually causing further inflation and this is entering a period of something called fiscal dominance where basically the central banks can't so so again we've covered this a couple of times but central banks are monetary policy the government so the government spending let's call it is fiscal policy if fiscal policy is being dominant that means that the, the central banks can't outweigh the impact of, of what fiscal policy is doing. Very worth watching right now, what's happening in the Canadian economy. So just quickly to summarize that, when when could interest rates come down? Not when will they come down, but they could come down if bond yields come down ahead of and kind of push the market in that direction. If inflation reached the neutral range of 2 to 3%, which the central bank has said, that's when they'll bring rates back down to the rate neutral range. Or if the economy fell into a recession, those are the three boxes that could be checked to cause rates to come down. So that begs the question, what is our central bank saying? Well, the Bank of 
Canada said in its latest forecast that it expected inflation to return to 2% by mid-2025. And I quote, we need higher interest rates. Uh, sorry, we know higher interest rates are hitting Canadians hard, and we don't want this to be any harder than necessary. But letting too high inflation persist would be worse. And that's from our buddy Tiff Macklem, who looks really great on our Christmas sweaters. Merry Tiff, Miss. So, and they, and they did say that they would not be opposed to cutting rates before inflation reaches the target range, which means that... Which was also like, guys, what does that really mean? Right. So, and, and so if we do start seeing recessionary s- signals, which we are, then bond yields will start coming down, which they are. And so you're already seeing rates, fixed rates come down. They came down, you know, 10, 20 basis points, nothing meaningful. You know, it's not like everybody going out rip roaring saying that the bull market's back because a lot of people are doing that. But, you know, you go on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, and you'll find a, a variety of armchair economists, present company included, giving you a, a, a variety <laughs> of answers. But it's best that you take them with a grain of salt, obviously, and present company included. And also keep in mind, no one knows and nobody has a crystal ball. So, the, and this is why the, the goal really is to just present as much, inf- find as much information, present as much information and make the most informed decision that you possibly can, right? Wait, wait. So what about the realtor certificate that includes that crystal ball? Yeah, I know. Even even realtors don't know if rates are going to come down. Yeah, I know. Crazy. I know. This is from a Reuters poll, a great article titled, Bank of Canada likely done raising rates to cut by mid-2024, says economists. So 29 of 32 economists polled in October expect no change to the central bank's 5% overnight rate, with the remaining three expecting a 25 basis point hike. Now, I believe the next and final announcement for this year is on December 6th. There were a few weeks out from that. While most are confident that the central bank is done hiking, a significant minority of economists who answered an additional question, eight of 18, said that the risk of the Bank of Canada raising at least one more time is high. So with inflation still running at nearly double the Bank of Canada's 2% target and not expected to fall that low until at least 2025, based on their most recent monetary policy report, they don't really have the leeway for policy easing, but they have said that they would be willing to do it, which means that from my perspective, they probably are acknowledging or know that they overshot and are anticipating that they'll have to cut to get us out of a recession. And this is the thing, right? Like this is where the whole question of this episode doesn't really matter from my perspective, because it's like, if they're cutting and then they're cutting in a meaningful way to assume that the, that the, the, real estate market will come roaring back is I would say very naive because if they're cutting, it means that we are in a recession and that's not, that is not bullish for real estate, right? That's a headwind. So still two thirds, a two thirds majority, 20 of the 30 economists see the bank of Canada cutting its overnight rate at least once before end of the June, 2024. And I've spoken to a couple of large economists at large banks and non-bank financial institutions. And most of them have said that they are fearful that there's a major overshot. These are private conversations. Most of them would say that, would not probably say that that, that publicly, but it, it's, it, I think that it could be, be bad probably. But a lot of people are saying, look at employment. If we're not seeing a huge rise in unemployment, then we could dodge a recession. I think we're kind of on track. Like it does, it's a suddenly then or slowly then all at once thing with unemployment, yeah. right? So well, even with employment, a uh, good friend of the show and, and he puts out a lot of great content as well. Vince Gaetano actually was just looking at job numbers and we've seen growth in job numbers, but 
in a strange these aren't these aren't full-time well-paying jobs and these are everyone's going out and getting second jobs everyone's going out and getting part-time jobs just to be able to to keep up yeah so there's a massively increasing number of people working two jobs and and the and, the, and this isn't like entrepreneurs like hustle culture you know get it these are right. these are literally like you know Have normal to. people that yeah. literally need to go out and get these whatever they are second jobs just to make mortgage payments or yeah. know, put gas in the car. Yeah, there was a there was a chart from the states. I don't know if we have the two job data for the for Canada. We're not exceptionally good at gathering data here, but number of people working two jobs in the US is at a record number, record percentage and record number. So what's happening with employment because this is important to think about. So even though job numbers are going up, the num- sorry, the number of jobs are going up, the labor force participation rate is increasing. So, or sorry, the number of people participating in the labor force is is increasing. So a lot of people who maybe, you know, were chilling because Serb and whatever, right? Like, a, lot of, a lot of people chilling. Yeah, there was some chilling going on for sure. I like chilling, yeah, but yeah, come yeah, on, same, I mean, guys, same. Yeah, so, so, there's, so the economy is getting bad enough that chilling isn't a viable economic <laughs> strategy anymore. And so a lot of people are unchilling and coming back into the, the workforce. Do we, do we have like an economic yeah. definition for chilling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll come up with one for the next episode. But so, so more people are joining the labor force and we have a lot of people joining the labor force from immigration, mm-hmm. which is sustained at record levels. And so this is, even though the number of jobs is going up, the employment rate or the rate of unemployment is going up. So, and the only last piece I'll add there that is probably a good indicator or leading indicator of what could happen. I don't know if we covered this, but I covered it in the last rare report. As you can see on Indeed, one of my favorite economists, actually, Brendan Bernard, Economist said, indeed, you can see the number of job postings declining huge on Indeed. So that would be a good leading indicator that employers are look, not looking to hire as much, right? So what it, it just takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, I've personal anecdote for that. I've got friends and family members, highly qualified, top sales, top salespeople in former organizations, um, many of whom have been let go in the last few months, really unfortunate, who've applied for, and I'm not kidding, hundreds of jobs and the postings that they're applying for they'll go and you know you can see you're one of x number of people that have applied to this job they'll go and do the interview not get the job the job posting will be taken down and then put back up so it's at a lower rate probably it just does yeah yeah, like (laughs) honestly i've heard of that like it's crazy yeah no i've heard of people in in the tech space actually right now looking for pretty like meaningful roles not like you know base stuff but and people basically bidding down like the labor pool is bidding it down they're getting way it's more applicants than you, before you couldn't get five people four or five people to they're apply. getting four or five hundred and then they're basically saying like i'll do it for whatever like no you know before so when the labor market starts losing its bargaining power that things become interesting and this is going to be especially interesting because it, it could also be a, a big deciding factor in the future of the workforce mm-hmm. right if like you're hitting banks now four days a week right so Anyway, we covered that. We covered office. We're going to cover it in another episode because we covered it in the in the uh, newsletter that we do with Patter. So make sure you check that out. I'm link in the show notes. Let's get back to the script here, I suppose. I forgot we have those sometimes. <laughs> so the proportion of, of economists in Canada that are forecasting a cut next year, yeah, it was two thirds and it's slightly higher than the number in the US, which was, I, I guess they, the US Federal Reserve surveys a bunch of economists in the, in the States and they're 
fewer economists or a lower percentage of economists were anticipating cuts in the in the US. And this is where we could end up with a problem. Actually, I, I pulled up a chart that was CAD to the Canadian to the Mexican peso, which that's scary, right? Yeah. Like to look at that. Yeah. Like in yeah. a five year, it's down like huge. And so you so it's you know, you see it a little bit in the USD, but it, you see it in like other like you know, Mexico still being kind of an emerging market, right? From an economic perspective, but the US's other major trading partner. And and what what could become a big problem is if the central bank in Canada cuts way before the US. So if you're planning to go make a trip to the to the US over the next couple of do some shopping years. Shopping, yeah, yeah. It's, it could get expensive. If, get there, um, get there sooner than later. Yeah, the distribution of where economists saw the overnight rate by the end of June was split by many ways seven Economists held the median view of 4.75, 12 see it at 4.5 or lower, and 11 expect it to be held at 5 or even bumped to 5.25. In our view, monetary policy tightening is now fully working its way through the economy. That's from a gentleman named Tony Stilo, who is the director of economics at Oxford economics. So now we've we've taken a look at what the central bank can do, the Bank of Canada can do to or what criteria would need to be fulfilled for them to reduce rates. Now let's look at the other sort of predictor or decider of rates, which is bond yields, right? So perhaps the most appropriate starting point to answer the original question of this episode, which is when will interest rates come down in Canada is is to say that they already have. You know, a number of Canadian lenders reduced their fixed rate mortgages in early November as the government of Canada's five-year bond yield dropped from four around 4% to like the mid threes. And to say like they already have is not me saying, oh, this is so bullish, like go, you know, it's they're not as low as they were in the spring when the market was relatively strong. And then this could be an indication of like, this is the best you're going to get from the economy is it'll drop by 30 bips and then it'll check itself, right? And it'll and it'll see, okay, you know, is the economy going to go nuts again or, right? And and this is kind of the market, the bond market trying to see if there's a soft landing there, right? To see if it can kind of soft land itself. And the Bank of Canada would, would love to see that happening or happen if they could kind of slowly cut their way down. If there's a soft landing potential, if, a, if, if employment stays strong and they can slowly cut, you know, 25 bips at a time over the next two years, be a great way to get back down closer to where the neutral range would be if they have to cut 50 bips twice we're in a bad bad mm-hmm. bad spot right so and i mean that's it's funny because that's what that would be a meaningful cut and that's likely what the general population wants to see and and a, a very understandable thing but again we have seen these small reductions in banks fixed rates so i guess that begs the question why did that happen yeah so the government of canada bond yield plays an important role in the mortgage rates which we mentioned we just did that episode on uh, 141 so we're not going to go through it too exhaustively but you can you can see historically that it trades around the five-year mortgage r- rates are about 200 basis points higher than the government of canada five-year bond yield and this is where you often hear that fixed mortgages have pricing of GOC plus 2%, with the GOC being the government of Canada. Again, so the bond yield is determined by the market and serves as a bit of a forecasting mechanism on whether or not the market expects interest rates to rise or fall during that duration of the bond. So a three-year bond yield is different than a five-year bond yield versus a 10-year bond yield. The yield is determined by the price of the bond and the price of the bond is determined by the market. This is what it means when someone says the interest rate hikes or cuts are priced in by the market. So the easiest way to think about this is to imagine that you're a bank. I I literally do that all the time. (laughs) So 
Uh, maybe he could become a credit union. <laughs> On my bank status, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just credit It's hard to become a bank, apparently. <laughs> so banks have two options, basically. So you can lend to the Canadian government. Let's assume they have two options, right? So you can either lend to the Canadian government or you can lend to a homeowner like Nick. <laughs> you lend to the Canadian government, you do so by purchasing a Government of Canada bond. The yield or the earnings that they pay you is is akin to the interest rate. That's their interest rate. And this is where we're hearing the Government of Canada has record, they're paying record high interest numbers right now mm-hmm. on, on the debt that they're paying. Alternatively- which, which again, goes back to increasing inflation. Right. Yeah. So alternatively, let's imagine you lend to a Canadian homeowner like Nick by giving them a mortgage. Sounds a little bit more risky than a Canadian government, right? So you would charge a bit of a premium for that risk. So, you know, if you're getting 3.65% from the Canadian government, you may ask Nick to pay you 5.65%, a 2% premium above what the government is paying you. This is how you get fixed mortgage rates that are priced relative to bonds with a similar duration. Yeah, it seems fair. So while the Bank of Canada can control variable interest rates through their overnight rate, which lenders decide, prime rate, they can't really directly control how the market prices bond yields and forecasts those rates. They can try to influence the market with their language and the response to the data points that the market uses to price in those bond yields, such as things like employment or inflation, which is a great segue into what we're going to discuss here next, Dan. Yeah. So to talk a little bit about inflation. So another condition that might cause mortgage rates to come down in Canada is if inflation reaches the neutral range. The neutral range is the range at which the Bank of Canada feels that the economy is growing at a fair pace and purchasing power has been reduced at a sustainable rate. So if inflation reaches that target of two to three percent, the Bank of Canada would then feel comfortable to cautiously, hopefully cautiously reduce interest rates slowly to see how it impacts that inflation. Now, again, we say slowly decreasing. I mean, we did see a slow increase. We, you know, usually interest rates go up slowly or go down slowly. We've seen an extremely quick hiking cycle, which has, again, put immense pressure on the Canadian economy. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you evaluate inflation and the statements that we've heard from the central banks that they would be willing to reduce it before hitting the neutral range. The more pressing questions in this regard become how far down would rates go from where they are? Because I think a lot of people like are imagining in their head and a lot of, like that. This is just temporary and we'll be back to yeah. you know, the one and two percents in, in yeah. no time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you heard Bank of Canada's Deputy Governor Carolyn Rogers say, you know, it might not be higher for longer. It might be higher forever, basically. What'd she say? Higher for good. So, you know, imagining, okay, rates come down. Like a lot of people think rates come down. It means that we're going to get back to the ripping bull market of 2022, Q1 2022. Yeah. Yeah, Even 2021. Well, no rates, the overnight rate was at 0.25 then. Right. So I, in, if rates come back down then, yeah, sure. Or if rates come down back down that far, then sure they could get there. So it's, it's likely they would not be reduced to the record low levels we saw during the pandemic, given this was, that was an economic emergency that required low rates to keep the economy moving. The only other time we've seen rates that low was the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And, and they kept them there for a long time. The next would be what would cause inflation to get back to the neutral range. And this is where we get to, you know, recession, which is really the winning way to, and it's, it's a blunt, it's definitely a blunt winning way. It's definitely a blunt tool, but the most likely path toward inflation reaching the neutral range is by way of a recession, which is likely what we're already seeing in Canada now, based on the data. If you look at real, like adjusted for inflation, GDP growth, 
not much going on there. And any GDP growth that we're seeing on the nominal, the not adjusted for inflation, a lot of that's coming from inflation and a lot of that's coming from um, economic growth from immigration. So your GDP per capita, we're in a per capita recession. Ben Tao said that at the debt collectors event that I spoke alongside him at. (laughs) But so, you know, the, the... the thought is over the history of the financial system, recessions have taken an average of 16 months to bring inflation back to the neutral range, according to economist Michael Cantor. This is one of the like best things on... Uh, actually, no, that, that's Macro Elf, actually. I got to correct that, who posts that, but that, that's on his on his Twitter page. And it's an excellent post. It's, it's shared all the time about recessions. So the Bank of Canada may decide to proactively reduce rates if the economy slips into a recession with the objective of engineering a soft landing, which we just talked about slowly cutting rates to get down and and also did a full episode on yeah or softening the economic impact um and this reduction in rate would be used in an attempt to stimulate the economy gradually by making borrowing money less expensive this is how interest rates work encouraging business activity to grow and invest by using debt so let's talk a little bit more about recession and is canada in one this is from a great article titled is Canada in a recession and other questions about the economy answered from our friends at Money Sense. Canadians have been waiting for a recession and have been told that it's coming now for a long time. Dan, actually, you've been predicting recessions for decades at this point. Yeah, I've predicted 100 of the last zero recessions. (laughs) (laughs) So why are we having a hard time labeling the economy right now, right? It seems to be a lot of back and forth between economists and, and banks and, and just people who provide commentary on on this type of stuff that we we don't really know, right? So yes, technically speaking, we are in a recession, said Francis Donald, chief economist at and strategist, multi-solutions asset team at Manulife Investment Management. One of my favorite economists, by and, the way. And she spoke at a 2023 Portfolio Management Association of Canada National Conference, which was aptly named Hard Truths and Soft Landings. That is a good name. I wish I that, came up with that. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one right there. And she was also asked during this conference, when will the Bank of Canada lower interest rates? Soon, said Donald, soon. She went on to suggest that the Bank of Canada will cut interest rates as early as Q1, Q2 of 2024. Probably in Q1 or Q2, we are ahead of the pack on that one. The U.S. Federal Reserve could be cutting interest rates by mid-year. Those of us looking to buy a home or renew their mortgage will be very happy to see a change in mortgage rates here in Canada. Yeah, I think the Canadian government and policymakers and the central banks would be happy probably as well because we, we know that the majority of mortgages in the Canadian economy right now are renewing in 25, 26. That's, that's the big fear, right, is that we're going to have this, this massive sticker shock for a lot of people and see their mortgages go up 15, 25, 30, 40% right. overnight essentially. Yeah, and that would that would make the drain on the Canadian economy longer and longer, right? and and, and so just that would be, really inflict a lot of pain on on the everyday. Canadian. You're starting to sound more bearish than me. Lots 100, of pain. 142 man. episodes pain. in, and when I, you know. <laughs> so let's let's wrap this one up. So it, it is worth noting that if you're seeing one of these three things take place, so if you're seeing bond yields come down, if you're seeing a recession, or if you're seeing inflation back down to the neutral range, it's likely that the others are either already there or not far behind. So the only scenario in which you wouldn't see them all take place kind of at the same time is if the economy was in a state of stagflation, which is where GDP is contracting, but inflation is still persistent. Another 
Sneaky Dan Finition, thank you. Generally, wondering when interest rates come down is a bit of a double-edged sword. On one side, you've got the reality that lower interest rates could make you know, our day-to-day Canadians mortgage rate payments a lot more affordable and increase buying power for our generation, millennials, which have been almost shut out of the home buyer's market for, for a lot of cases. But on the other hand, you now understand, hopefully after listening to this episode, that if mortgage rates come down, it's likely as a result of the economy suffering, which would typically only occur after that's taken place. So mm-hmm. rates would only typically be cut after that's taken place. It's almost always a reactionary thing. We know that the Bank of Canada can't get didn't get ahead of, of the inflation. Why would they get in a, ahead of deflation taking place, right? So in that regard, it does become really a be careful what you wish for kind of phenomenon for those wondering when interest rates will come down in Canada because it could require a recession or deflation to take place. And neither of those are good for Canadians. Okay, so crystal ball time. I'm just kidding. Educated guesses time. Let's let's chat a bit about what we each think, Dan, just just quickly. And yeah. then I want to chat a bit about what this means for for maybe just the average homeowner or the average prospective home buyer, as well as of course a lot of our audience investors. I think we could see a small cut if because the economic data is really taking a long time. To, to like, it, like, it doesn't look as grim as I often describe it to be. Well, right? I mean, everything is lagging, right? Yeah. We've talked about that a yeah. ton of time. The good, the bad, and the ugly in, in data points are all lagging here yeah. in Canada. For sure. And and there there has been a lot of padding. Like, we've always heard about record savings in Canada. Okay, we burned through that, right? Yeah. Credit card debt was low. Okay, credit card debt's racking back up. Household savings rate is now in decline. Auto loans are starting to go delinquent as acknowledged in CMHC's thing. So, the like, used Porsche indexes. Yeah, used Porsches, Rolexes are cliffing in value. You've probably lost 30 percent on a Rolex this year but so so but it still hasn't really materialized in like broad economic pain and I think that's to me I'm only watching employment now at this point because it's like if the employment market goes then all bets are off then then we we could be full-blown recession people start losing you know their houses they can't pay as Tiff Macklem said the biggest reason people aren't gonna are gonna go delinquent on a mortgage is because they don't have a job and so my thought would be we'll probably see one cut early because we're still in that lag and you think and they're going to try be... and start that that like like one very very low cut like, like a 25 25 because yeah. they're going to they're going to kind of be like then this would be like Q1 next year and they'd be like uh hoping that we can start that slow yeah. gradual soft landing right and and I think because I agree I was going to say I think we'll likely see one small cut sooner than a lot of people are predicting and I think that's really just and it's going to do nothing a 25 economy, is not going to stimulate the economy isn't going to yeah. do anything but what it will do is get realtors back on TikTok yeah <laughs> amen no what it will do is I called this three years ago <laughs> it, it'll 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 help with sentiment which I think is one of the main things that is messing with, with see Canadians I disagree right now. I actually think that if if we're cutting that is a point of capitulation for the central bank and that people will be nobody's going to be like oh like i think that everybody feels it right now every like nobody i don't know even people who are like wealthy like everyone is feeling yeah. inflation is feeling increases in mortgage costs you know like there there's something deals, deals don't pencil out so you know I, I would say that if they if they're reducing by 25 basis points that or or whatever whatever it is but i think one one in q1 to try and like start that gradual downslope i think that's when people are just going to capitulate and be like oh the central bank is like basically admitting that we're in a recession mm. 
you know, and they're trying to get ahead of it. And now, now that's, I think it would actually make sentiment worse. Honestly, I really do. I think people are smart enough now. I think people are in touch enough with what's going on that I actually think that it would make, that it would, it would actually have a negative, net negative impact on inflation. Yeah. See, I guess I, I disagree there a little bit. I think, I mean, and this isn't to say that I don't think Canadians are intelligent or, or keeping up with the news, but I think that we've seen such a steep increase so quickly and and I I do believe a, a bit of an overshoot in in, Massive, uh, yeah. in, I, in interest I rate policy that that I think that the Bank of Canada is going to backpedal a little bit, but and they and they're going to backpedal and they're going to cut twenty five basis points before that twenty five basis points has even had an effect on the market, right? Because again, we know that interest rates take eighteen or sorry twelve to eighteen months to work their way through economy. Well, we've had re- interest rate hikes, you know, as recently as the last six months. Those haven't started to take effect yet, really. Mm-hmm. So if we cut, I don't know, six months from now, it, it, I think it's kind of just a, it's almost just optics at that point. So my educated guess is we see probably one early cut that's that's not really meaningful next year in Q1 or Q2, and then maybe a meaningful cut in the second half of next year, maybe a point or uh, maybe a point or less 50 to 75. Yeah. My guess would be that after that we would be in in a bad economic position. Like you're mm-hmm. going to see some, some severe economic contraction in Canada and you're going to start to see unemployment rise. And, and then we're going to start to see bigger cuts. Here's the interesting part from my perspective is if employment's rising, like if, if we're not losing jobs, if employment is rising, it's actually not that good of a thing because <laughs> right now, because we have a lot of people coming to Canada and that is driving down the cost of labor. And the government has basically outright admitted this. Like, um, it, it, I can't remember the guy's name now, the uh, immigration minister. And, you know, he basically says that the manufacturing industry wants these people to come here for to, to help dr- reduce labor costs. It, it's actually like pretty messed up the way that they, they think about immigration from my perspective, because especially because, you know, a lot of these people are coming here as students and they're paying triple the tuition cost for that a Canadian would pay as a, um, as an international student. And, th- and then they're, they, they increase the amount of, I don't know if you know this. So th- they increase the amount of hours that they could work for a period of time, like for the past couple of years, really? and they just reduced it now back down to 20 hours. And it was, but it was, it, they either increased it from 20 to 30 or 20 to 40. So you had people basically working full time or almost full time and in school and in school. And they weren't familiar, you know, they're, they're brand new to Canada. They weren't familiar with the wages here and what they could, you know, like, and so it really became a system that was ripe for exploitation. And so, and and it's, it still is that like, you're seeing people going, going to school in a strip mall at some, some college that really has no credibility in the Canadian economy. And it's very unfortunate. And they're these, these businesses go over there, recruit, and then bring people in and give them a degree that's not really worth mm-hmm. what they're being told it's worth. And these they have to work the entire time because they're paying triple the tuition. So they're paying more for a degree that's worth less. Anyway, so the point is, if, if that's the type of jobs that's being generated, from my perspective, that's net, that'll, that'll it'll be deflationary. It'll help uh, reduce labor costs and interrupt a wage price spiral. But that's not, that's going to massively suppress GDP per capita and almost like make the Canadian economy on a GDP per capita basis declining for the for the foreseeable future which like is the opposite of what you want to be doing as you know emerging markets right now are seeing gdp per capita grow china just brought you know a billion people out of poverty right we're going the opposite direction which is not great no it was just not like it's it's we're at the point where like all of these metrics 
when they appear, they can be um, used to appear as positive during an election cycle. But there's kind of like almost like a dark side to all Very of them, dark right? side. Yeah. And I mean, again, when politics rears its ugly head into this kind of stuff, again, don't take it with, don't take it with a grain of salt. Take that with a handful of salt. One final thing here, Dan, what do we think this means for investors here in Canada trying to buy their first investment property by their second, fifth, 10th investment property, trying to scale a portfolio, yeah. trying to offload some properties. My, my thought is that like for the next two years, you're probably, it's probably more worth thinking about the ability for your portfolio to pay its rent than it is increasing the size of it. You know, so, so there are a couple thoughts, like if you're going to be, I don't think many people are going to be in acquisition mode over the next little bit. I don't, I don't think there's, I think that like you're just starting to see the pain starting and, and, Gradually, I think you you could start getting into deals in the next twelve to twenty four months, but you have a long, very big window of opportunity from my perspective. The part that's more worth thinking about is could you increase the value of some of your portfolios because you can finally afford trades again as unemployment starts to rise in that sector. But also, if unemployment starts to rise, can all of your tenants pay yeah, you rent? Very, very good point. Yeah. So these are the these are the big thing. Those are the big things that are kind of keeping me up at night right now. I, I'm I'm thinking less about it, um, interest rates coming down and whatever because I'm thinking I, I'm always thinking about like when you that book I gave you essentialism. It's always like boil something down to like the first step, right? So interest rates come down. What happens before that? Because yeah. we don't need to worry about or think it's about not just a one right. size fits all. Interest rates come down, boom, that's great. No, like what are the factors right. that contributed to that? And we just went over them, and and none of them are, right. are nice factors. Yeah, and so I I would be really positioning myself less for. Well, let me start listing out all of the you know cars and watches that I'm going to buy when rates are low again, <laughs> you know, or like you know shopping for a deal. I'd be kind of triaging and getting ahead of what does my portfolio look like in a recession? And that's really yeah. what I'm doing right now. Yeah. No, agreed. I think, I think great points. I mean, we did a full episode on this as well, how to, how to invest in real estate in a down market. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it does present a lot of opportunity to, to really understand your personal portfolio, really look back at your investment thesis and, and make sure it works. And we've said this so many times now, the game has changed, the rules have changed. So it's time to essentially, you know, ad adapt or die. And, 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 you know, I don't want to get too grim with, with death, but you know, there will be a lot of people quote unquote dying, ex exiting the real estate investing market because they, you know, their investments only made sense in a zero interest rate environment. So yeah. I do, you know, again, me being a bit more bullish than you, I, I do think that there will be some buying opportunities. I mean, you and I are, are seeing it within, you know, the groups of people that we hang out with and the investors yeah. that we know, but it's going to be the savvy investors, the ones that understand it, the ones who understand creative financing, the ones who have good GPLP structures, the ones that are looking in non-traditional markets and are willing to kind of roll their sleeves up and actually add value in creative ways to make these deals pencil out. So, you know, the we we finished off that episode, how to invest in a down market. We also talked about this in another episode, which has done very well by the numbers, is now a good time to buy real estate. And, you know, I'll say, we said it then, I'll say it again. It's always a good time to buy a, bad, a good deal. <laughs> it's always a good time to buy a good like deal. My realtor. And it's always a bad time to buy a bad deal. And there are going to be a ton of bad deals. And there will start to be more and more good deals, but you have to know how to find them, how to structure them, and what value to add to them. And I think I'm going to leave it there. Love it. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Hope you got a ton of value out of this. Check out all the links in the show notes for our course, for our Christmas sweaters, for our meetups, for the newsletter, and all the other good stuff that Dan and I do for free to help everyone out and get through these tough times. Such nice guys. 
The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.